The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to Lord. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. The tempter approached and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said in reply, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their magnificence. And he said to him, all these I shall give to you, if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. At this, Jesus said to him, Get away, Satan. It is written, The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Gospel of the Lord. We get a little bit of a look at um, the the forty days, the the holy fast that Jesus undertook for himself, and we get a little bit of a sense uh, for ourselves what our Lenten journey, what our Lenten disciplines uh, should look like, and and what they should journey towards. And I think we might have missed some of the important stuff, even even right in the beginning, right when we when we start. Perhaps we're not. We're not listening with the same kind of attention that we get in the middle. We pick up momentum as we go, you know, hopefully crescendo and, and the rest, and, and we're focused on what Jesus is doing and, and the commentary surrounding what he's up to. Uh, but there are some very important things in the passage that come even, even at the very beginning that serve as a frame for our own experience of, of the Lenten season. The, fir the first thing I want to say is something like, you know, Lent itself is not a proving ground for our strength, courage, moral excellence, and so on and so forth. What do I, what do I mean by that? We see, in this, we see this in the scriptures. At that time, right? So I begin from the very beginning. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. This is, this is the first, right? The, perhaps it's the outermost frame for, for how we're to understand our own journey through Lent. But here it is. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. The, the first question for us is, are we inclined to be led by the Spirit? This is a question of, of fundamental importance. Yeah, we're taking, of course, I'm going to take for granted the fact that you've all taken me up on, on the challenge, the letter that I sent to you, posted on the website, and put in the bulletin, and reminded you to read, and so on and so forth. We, we, are, we are taking seriously the disciplines of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving this Lent. And we are, we're doing that. We're, okay, we're taking them seriously. 
But we're allowing the Spirit to lead and sustain us in those disciplines. And we're allowing the Spirit to, uh, to, to order what those disciplines look like, right? Our own, our own kind of particular way of going about these things. The Spirit is going to grow us into prayer, fasting, and almsgiving the way that God is, is calling us. It, this is not, Lent is not a time to say, you know what, I can prove myself here. I can, dem- I can demonstrate my strength, my power, right? I can do this, that, and the other thing, right? If it's, if it's not, if our practices are not an expression of our being led by the Spirit, and they don't at the same time make us more docile to the Spirit's prompting, then they're worth nothing. Then our works, our works are worth nothing, if that's the case. So here, and you get a sense of how long the homily is going to be, right? Because just on the first line, right? It's okay. What are you gave up laughing at my jokes for land? Okay, that's fine. No, 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 no. Okay. So at that time, right? So Jesus, Jesus being led by the Spirit, he didn't. He didn't say, you know, I've got a great idea. I'm going to go out into the wilderness. And when I'm out there, I'm not going to eat anything. And I'm not going to see anyone. I'm not going to, right? I'm going to fast, fast, fast from everything, right? This is not like, a, this is not like um, you know, 2,000 years ago, David Blaine, you know? Like the feats of, the feats of human strength and capacity and the rest. Okay. No, this is not what's going on. Docile to the Spirit's prompting, he goes out. Now, he goes out. When Jesus goes out, he is in himself recapitulating the whole history of Israel. There's a sign for us for interpretation of the scripture passage. And he goes out for 40 days. In him is being summed up the Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. If you look at the responses that Jesus gives to the devil in the temptations, you'll notice that every one of those replies comes from the Old Testament. It comes from the Hebrew Scriptures, where? Where they are in the wilderness. So he's giving, he's giving the response out of that wilderness time. But what's the difference between Jesus and the Israel of old? Right? Because Jesus is Israel in the flesh. He's come to do what Israel was always intended to do. Right? Well, God, the purposes for which God ordained Israel, Jesus is now living out. He's bringing forward. What's the difference? They succumb to temptation, and he does not. Okay. There's something else here at the, at the beginning of this passage. In fact, it's before the beginning of this passage that kind of gives us a sense of the entire exchange that we see in front of us. Right before this, what scene is it in the scripture? Okay, my mother knows it. Anybody else? Yeah, I can lip read, you know. It's like, Jesus' baptism. Yeah, I saw Susanna as well. Just, just, you, you snuck it in there right, right before I did. Jesus' baptism. And in his baptism, he hears the voice of the Father say, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Right? Or 
my kind of preferred translation. You are my dear, dear child. I delight in you. Jesus, marked out by his father in his baptism as, yes, God's beloved son and Israel's Messiah. That's what some of that language means, Israel's Messiah. What does that mean? It means that he's going to lead the way as Israel in the flesh. He's going to do what Israel could never accomplish of their own strength, by their own steam. He's going to lead the way and he's going to then gather a new people to himself to follow him along the way. And what is the way? The way is many ways that I've talked about it before. The way of radical generosity. The way of self-giving love. Why do I say, why do I say that? Because it's, it's a reflection of the inner life of the Trinity that we were, that we were made for. We were made to embody. It's the reason why we go back to Genesis today to read that first reading. Because we're supposed to see not only that, you know, men messed it up and turned away from God, we're supposed to see something of what man was made to be. It's created in the image and likeness of God. He's created to bring God's goodness and the strength of his own life of love into the creation to make God's creation fruitful and fertile. Man is made to flourish God's world. And turning from God, what of that gets accomplished? Some, you know, some. But not what, not what God intended. Not all that God intended. Yes, yeah, so Jesus has come in order to renew man according to God's design so that he could make God's creation again flourish. Now, this is what, this is what we see in the, in the whole kind of scope of Scripture. And we're thrown right into the middle of it with Jesus' temptation. Why? Because what happens in the garden? We see in the, in the catechism that the first sin is that man allows trust of God to die in his heart. That's the, that's the eating of the fruit. Man allows trust of God to die in his heart. You know what? There's not, at that point, there's not much left for us. Do you know? And I'll say, just let me say here, this is so much of the work that we need to be engaged in this Lenten season. Do we trust God? Do, can we hear the voice of our Father? You are my dear, dear child. I delight in you. And then, and then, and then, can we live for his purposes? Only then can we live for his purposes. Right? We, we heard in the second reading, the, the disobedience of Adam, overturned by the obedience of Jesus, and then, of course, lived into by our obedience to the Father. Yeah, this, this, it's the undoing of the, of, the, of the chaos and destruction and, and disfigurement that was brought in 
by the sin, by our, re by our rebellion against God. Yeah? I, I didn't even get into the passage yet, did I? <laughs> I know. So. I have a little more Lenten discipline. You know, I have a little more, bit more discipline these days, but not much. Okay. So this is the challenge, is, is for us to see that this is what is at stake in the Lenten season. But it's all about identity. Jesus receiving from the Father, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Now he's driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit. And what happens in that fast of 40 days, that message from the Father becomes everything to him. It's his everything. It's the only, it's the only thing he has to feast on. Yeah, it's the, it's the only thing that sustains him. Everything else falls away. And Jesus is left with what? He's left with his identity. But his identity is not simply who he is. It's whose he is. He belongs entirely to the Father. He is the Father's dear, dear child. And it goes down deep. Every fiber of his being, he's loved by the Father. And then he faces temptation. Okay, now what, what is this, yeah? The temptation, and I can just give you a bit of a, a, bit of a gloss on it to say something like, because there are many ways of looking at the, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And I want to say something like, um, you know, what, what we're looking at is all the ways that man is distracted and derailed, distracted from who he is or whose he is, and derailed from his mission. Now, when, when does Jesus face this? He faced it at the very beginning, right? It's at the very beginning of his public ministry. Before he's going to set out and do all the amazing things that we stand back and go, whoa, wow. And actually, when he's doing all those amazing things, what we're looking at is Adam striding through the garden, putting God's world to rights. That's what we're looking at. But before we do that, Jesus has to, has to face the things that would otherwise distract or derail him. When we set out, yeah, the same, when we set out in our Lenten journey to do this, that, or the other, whatever it may be, and there are some great penances out there, I would say the best ones tend to be interpersonal. Like, for example, I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to engage in Father Daniel's preaching with joy and <laughs> with, with patience, with patience and with joy, right? This is, no, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be generous in every aspect of my being. I'm going to be generous in prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. I'm going to be generous with God. I'm going to be generous with my neighbor. I'm going to be generous with myself. Let me put, put that one in brackets and say generosity with Self has a lot to do with staying on course. It's not about self-indulgence, yeah, generosity. Real generosity of self is not about indulging our, our passions. Uh, they, they, would, they lead us awry, they lead us astray. It's about living for the glory for which God intended us to live, okay? 
So I'm going to be, I'm going to be generous this Lenten season, right? I'm going to do it in this way, that way, the other way. I'm going to commit myself to God's way. I'm going to commit myself to what I see in Jesus, the path of self-giving love that refuses to be distracted or derailed. Guess what, my friends? As soon as we commit ourselves to the path of pure self-gift, we will be immediately confronted by our inability to do so, right? This is, this is the way it works. Why does it work that way? Why is it that when I say to myself, I am going to love in the face of all opposition, that I then face all the opposition all at once, right? Why is, why is, it, why is that the case? I'll offer, I'll offer two reasons, okay? One is because you are in a spiritual battle and the enemy is lurking. Yeah? These, things are, these things are of more significance than we see. You're in a spiritual battle and the enemy is lurking and the best time to pick you off is right at the beginning. Right? You set out with real zeal. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And immediately you go, ah, oh, yeah, I, I can't do it. Okay? And you know what? You've had three or four days of Lent, so perhaps you've already had that experience. Just pick yourself up and dust yourself off, okay? Nobody cares. Get over yourself, right? Just get, just get back on the horse. Do you know what I mean? It's time. Just get back on the horse. If you come to me and say, Father, I already messed up, I don't care. Just get back on the horse, right? It doesn't matter, yeah? Because the thing is, you're not in control of your Lenten season anyway. You're not in control of the, of the graces that God gives you. Just keep giving him the space. And if you fail, it doesn't matter. Get up and go again. Right? The saint is not the one who falls. It is not the one who doesn't fall. The saint is the one who falls and gets up. We're all going to fall. I have fallen more times than you in serious ways. This Lenten season, it's been four days. I'm going again today. Right? We're going again today together. Okay, so one, spiritual warfare. Two, clarity of purpose means that we see things more clearly than we usually do. So as soon as I recognize that my life is about you know, being the, the being in God's creation that reflects his glory, as soon as I recognize that my whole life is supposed to be prayer and love, and, I'm, and I have to commit myself to the radical generosity that is the reflection of God's own life, as soon as I say that, I'm going to recognize all the ways that it's not happening. And the reality is we live in a mess and a muddle. Yeah, it's just the way it is. Left to our own devices, this is where we end up. We end up as off-mission people. But again, we're being called to the mission again. And we can commit ourselves to the mission, trusting that the practices that we're taking on of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving will, ref will refine our focus on Jesus and have us follow him more closely this season. That's what this season is all about. It's, this is not a moral proving ground. That's why I say, get over yourself, 
and just do it. Because it's when we say, oh, like I, you know, I messed it up and it's, uh, you know, irretrievably bad and so on and so forth. That's the lie. Yeah, and the enemy is here to, to derail you and distract you. Okay, just a, really just a couple more things, yeah? I know, uh, it's already been long enough. Yeah, fine, okay. <laughs> it's fine. I'm helping you with your Lenten discipline, okay? So, um, yes, St. Ignatius Loyola says in his Discernment of Spirits, he talks, sorry, he talks about the enemy of human nature or the enemy of humankind. And in that, he's talking about the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, there's a lot more to be said about the world, the flesh, and the devil. These are the temptations that Jesus resists and refuses. These are the temptations that we see being offered. Yeah? We defeat the world, the flesh, and the devil with the spiritual practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, right? What is it, what is it that defeats the world? It's almsgiving. Why? Because in our interaction with the world, we tend to think of what we can get. And almsgiving reverses that to see us, to have us see the world as the mission field where we are intended to, to only care about what we can give. Yet the flesh our, our unruly desires, we conquer with fasting. Right? It's only by giving up good things that we can bend our desires back the other way to have us straighten out. Right? It's, only, it's only by denying ourselves the good things that God gives that, that allows us to overcome the temptation of the flesh. And to, and to bring our own unruly desires into alignment with God's will and his purposes. Right? It's, and it's by prayer that we overcome the devil. The devil, is, the devil wants our allegiance. We have to submit to God. Yeah, we have to be active. We have to be active in charity. We have to be active in this life of grace. And the Lenten season pushes us right out into the middle of it. And we can overcome all the distractions and all the potential ways to be derailed throughout this Lenten season. We can do it because it's a graced season. Because the Spirit is leading us, we can do it. But I want us to remember at the heart of it all that the, that the Lenten season is about maintaining, say, preserving, safeguarding, holding dear our identity and again, it's not about who you are. It's about whose you are and the mission that God is entrusting to you. You were made to reflect God's generous love. And he's going to love you into the task. And if that's, if that's a step too far already, if that feels like it's an imposition and all the rest, then just go back and say, yes, I am God's dear, dear child. He delights in me. That's the identity that we have to preserve throughout this Lenten season. If we don't get that, we're not getting even a little fraction of what God wants us to receive. We have to receive that, that now and 
preserve it in everything we think and say and do. We have to preserve it wherever we go. Right? You are my dear, dear child. I delight in you.